everybody, it's me, Izzy. Lo and behold, we made it to the podcast world. The audio track you're about to hear right now was recorded live on YouTube. If you want to see it, you can go to the YouTube channel on Izzyverse, and you'll be able to catch that video. Thanks for supporting. Enjoy the show. I want to introduce to you all my guest for this evening. He is a artist, illustrator, author. He's written a book about freelancing. Chris Alawaja. I might have messed up his name, but he'll tell me if I messed it up. Um, let's introduce him to the show. Chris, how's it going? Hey, Izzy. I'm doing great. And you were the farthest so far <laughs> in getting my name right. I I I I'm, I'm, heard so far. I am known for butchery names, so I deeply humble. What makes apologize. it so difficult? I don't understand. I don't I, because it sounds a little different. Like the Christian part, I get. It's the how you say your last name again? Alu Aluash. Aluash. Well, the Did thing you? is, in on the book cover and some other covers, I put the sedilla underneath, and then mm. the S has an S H sound, like Sean. Yeah. So. I At first, know, I actually kind of, thought that was a typo, believe it or not. I, I really did think that was a typo when yeah. I first saw it. Talk to me a little bit about how you got started. That's something I always love talk, asking people. What, what's, how did it all begin? I know you mentioned it a lot in your book when, when I was reading your book and, and listen, listening to your book with your own audio voice. So talk to me a little bit about the beginnings. Sure. Uh, the book you're talking about is It's a Living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I was always an artist, but one thing that's kind of unique, maybe that's why my name is slightly uh, more uh, unique, it's Christian Alawash. It's a Romanian name. I was born in Romania during communist time, and my uh, my actually, my father initially escaped uh, communist uh, Romania, which was like by Ceausescu, and, uh, and then he brought us over, and then we came to Canada. So I grew up in Canada as an immigrant boy and uh, and then eventually moved to the US uh, and I started my career in Canada so I mean I was always an artist I in Canada I at a garage sale I was introduced to comic books uh, I remember my first uh, comic books I believe it was like uh, Master of Kung Fu by Paul Galassi and uh, John Byrne Superman um, and, and then you know from there it went on so uh my initial love was for comics. When I was in high school, I published my first zine slash comic. Uh, initially, it started with uh, with a buddy of mine, and we sold it for a buck around school. And then, um, as it happens, sometimes with professional artists, some of them fall at the wayside. They don't really, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but not everybody's made of the same cloth to pursue it uh, full time. So I ended up finishing that on my own. And then I peddled it around uh, to uh, local comic shops in Ottawa, Canada. And that was when I was uh, 18. It was even before I finished high school. Uh, Then I studied animation in college in Ottawa. Then in Montreal, I studied creative writing and and, uh, art history and studio art. And and I came back from university. Uh, I was working in some animation studios. I worked with John Crick Falusi that uh, worked uh, at the time he was doing Ripping Friends, but he's known as the creator of Ren and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. 
So he had moved back to Ottawa, which was his hometown, and I happened to live in Ottawa. And then so he, you know, he gave me some interesting pointers. I learned a few things in the short period that I worked with him. And then I have kind of a fun story, which I, I may not list in the book, uh, but I worked on Let Replet de Belleville, and I was actually fired from that uh, for sleeping on my desk. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but Let Replet de Belleville, maybe you like people would hear uh, know it as uh, the Triplets of Belleville. It's a very mm-hmm. famous uh, award-winning feature film. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then uh, basically, I had the option to work in studios. But I was, I didn't want my name on a long list. And therefore, I decided to quit all jobs, uh, burn all bridges, and try to sell art in cafes. And then uh, that didn't, uh, well, I registered a sole proprietorship, which was a a desktop publishing uh, business. So I was self-publishing and publishing some other artists. But I didn't really have a lot of capital early on, early on, and then I turned to online freelancing, and and that's what it's a living uh, is is a lot about. So it's like it's kind of that that transition. It talks a lot about that uh, transitioning to working for yourself as a freelancer, and then online, in person, dealing with clients, small businesses, and making a living. Yeah, because when I was first listening to the book, I was reading the book, then listening to the book. It reads a lot like an autobiography. And, you know, at the beginning, it talks about your your upbringing and how you got in trouble in school with that one teacher. I, I remember hearing the story and you were hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I was like, yeah, he sounds very familiar to me. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I had a very similar childhood, I guess, um, teenage life. I didn't get myself into major trouble. My 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 level of trouble was just enough not to make it to jail, you know? (laughs) So, but I did get myself in trouble quite a bit um, in in things like that. But what was really great to hear was that, you know, how you got out of that, you know, going that way, especially with the curfew that your father gave you and things like that. So, you know, as much as the tough love that you got, it it helped you in the long run in some way or another, based on what I was listening to, kind of like, get you in in the school that you eventually ended up going um, afterwards and things like that. So, you know, that was good to listen to. <laughs> well, yeah, well, the story is that the, the way I found myself at Canterbury Arts High School, which you had to apply to with a portfolio, was because I was going to get expelled from my previous school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I got called in because I, I threatened the teacher. Uh, the, the thing was that I was a bad kid uh, because I was like, you know, I'm not making excuses, but I've analyzed it. So I was a child of divorce and my father, you know, had had troubles and uh, he, he, he did some drinking and it was a very volatile, sensitive uh, home life. And so I would rebel against authority anywhere I could. And uh, and that's what really got me in trouble. Even in university, I had the same issues. My teachers, they would say one thing and I would challenge them on it. Um, I like to think that I've outgrown that to some extent, but it's I, I kind of have to keep it at bay. I'm, you know, but I'm a grown up now. So uh, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was kind of lucky in a way that I wound up at an arts high school because I got to to thrive. And I think ultimately I would have. I don't know. It's hard to imagine any other course, you know, of life. So, um, 
Um, yeah, but uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just I was just um, pondering what you were saying about your story and things like that. So um, I don't even know there was a question to be quite honest okay. with you. So now we let's let's move fast forward a little bit. Um, getting into the whole comics of it all, you did at one time have this publication that you did through Instagram, I saw, and that right. was the Big Boss comic. So talk to me a little bit about the Big Boss comic, and more importantly, talk to me why you made the decision to make it an Instagram comic book. Okay, yeah, that, that's a, yeah, thank you. That's a good um, uh, segue. So I... Actually, the high school comic was with this character, Big Boss. And that original uh, comic, kind of an interesting little side note, is in the Billy Ireland Cartoon Museum in at Ohio State University. So the original uh, pages are, are there preserved. Uh, and you could, you could go read them, I suppose, there. Um, but yeah, so this character, I did a five-issue miniseries with a writer that helped write it and plot it. And then I wanted to do a follow-up just to keep the uh, the IP, the intellectual property, kind of alive after I made a short live-action film. So I did the five-issue miniseries. Then while I was living in Las Vegas, I self-produced on Indiegogo a short, like, 10-minute live-action film with actors based on the character and uh, some plot points from the original uh, series. And I wanted to continue it. And as a way to motivate myself to get the project done, because I was, I was working as a freelancer. Uh, I thought, why don't I just like commit myself to drawing five panels a week, you know, one panel each day, five days a week. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, the story is going to kind of finish off. So after 13 months, I was able to compile uh, like about a 75 page graphic novel. So it started as a tool to just self-motivate myself to get a new project done. And it was kind of also a tool to, to build social media. Interesting. Um, you mentioned that you did something my screen is frozen. Okay, can yeah. you see me? Can you hear uh, I me? I can see. I can hear you. Yeah. Okay, so my screen just went frozen. So give me one second. I'm gonna fix that. I know this exactly is, what happened. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for the uh, DD. Thanks for the cover. Uh, yeah. So let's let's do a switch over here. That way you don't get this nice little frozen screen. So that's the beauty of having multiple cameras. And now you get to see a little bit of the 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 green screen. Oh, there we go. <laughs> See, live television. It's just the way it is, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Let's fix that a little bit more. Awesome. All right. So one of the things I could say as an artist myself is how difficult it could be to do a panel at a time. Um, you you made the commitment of doing a panel a day. How difficult was it for, for one to get those panels out? Did you have the panels Obviously, I'm thinking to myself that you had them already in your head and you just continue working from there. So you had yeah. to work chronologically in some way, did you? Uh, yeah. Well, there were actually a couple of reasons why I, why I even chose Instagram, because I looked at other options like web comics were available. This was a few years ago. So uh, I looked at a few options, but I liked the, the square format because I had an animation background. I looked at it as a story 
uh, boarding sort of exercise as well. So, uh, so I printed out some storyboard pages like I used to do in animation and they were, they were not quite square, but almost square. And, and then I would write the script that way by hand mm-hmm. and I plotted out and had drawn about two weeks, maybe three weeks worth initially. And I had them drawn and then I had, a, you know, another several pages just roughed on the storyboard. Um, and then, so that's what I started with, but then, you know, you, you get lazy and then it caught up eventually. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, I have, I had like just rough notes. And then like the weekend before I would rough in the panels. And then I would, by Sunday night, I would uh, make sure I had that Monday panel at the least. <laughs> Sometimes I would have Monday and Tuesday. And then, you know, that day sometime between freelancing I would squeeze in that panel and at least by the evening, like usually 10 or 11 that night at the latest, I would uh, upload the panel. Now, did you ever miss a panel? No. no. Oh, so you made, you, you, you made the commitment and you hit, you hit every mark. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, That's I mean, awesome. I, that is great to hear. Yeah. You know, cause I'm thinking to myself that moment where it's like, I just can't get this. And then you have to do that apology sometimes, you know what I mean? Cause I, I've done that myself with the, for the person this week, the pull list, I was yeah. unable. So on Saturday, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Oh, that's from outside. <laughs> I know. Um, on it's Saturday, my stomach. I'm hungry. <laughs> on sat this past Saturday, we were in the Bronx show. It was yeah. my intention to make a recording to, to, to put out for Sunday's pull list. <laughs> and I never remembered to do it. I, I, I never remind myself to do it, nor did I take a lot of footage of the show, which, you know, I got some photos here and then I, I was able to, to put about, but then on Sunday I went to tell my wife, I was like, honey, I don't have any videos. I got to make video. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, I ended up grabbing some videos. Some friends of mine were able to send me some stuff from the show. And I was like, but I, I didn't have time to get it out by the time I was almost ready I still needed a major component. I was like, I can't get it out today. So I, I just did the blast. Like tomorrow, promise you guys will be out tomorrow, um, and things like. That. So it's good to hear that you hit the deadline. It was it was almost like a twenty four. You know, you've heard of the twenty four hour comic book. I, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's almost like a continuation of a twenty four hour comic book, but a day each day you had to produce a panel a day, and and that is a great project. For some, especially for someone that's starting to kind of like make sure you get your work done because procrastination is something that is in this industry you definitely don't want to have. Right. Right. Because a deadline is extremely important, especially for those of you who are interested in making comic books and interested in doing work. I have to let you know that deadlines are even more important than a perfect page. Right. right, because a perfect page is great, but you you, you got if you have a deadline of doing twenty two pages for a month, just because you got that one perfect page, those other twenty one pages need to happen, and you won't get work if you if that's how you do things. Well, yeah, and the catch is as a freelancer, and most illustrators in comics are freelancers, even if they're working for a company. You you get the assignment, but you have to make your own deadlines. 
you have to know exactly the calculation of how long each page would take you. And then you have to chart it out over the course of like each day, each week, each month. And be prepared for editing. <laughs> uh, you mean like if they edit or your own so, editing? So if it's, if it's self-published, that's different. But in the industry, be prepared for someone to say, we need you to redo that. Right. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? It's it's like it's like um since you're familiar with video it's like reshoots. We right. need reshoots, so it's the same thing in comics that we need we need these pages to say something else or to be something else. Well, so, yeah, I mean I deal with that with freelancing projects cuz I one of my specialties that I moved towards um in the last few years is helping other indie creators create their comics. And I've worked with other uh, clients where you know they give me a script and and they sometimes have edits where i i usually prefer the one-off like a you know uh, either like a, a comic book ad or something where i could charge more because if i do a comic book ad as opposed to like a 22 page story i usually get a better rate you know because a comic book ad for a small company whether it's like a doctor's office or like you know, some manufacturing plant that's running an ad, you know, they could pay uh, up to a couple thousand for one page. And it's a much better working rate. Well, yeah. And then you get one page as as opposed to 22 pages for much less. Yeah. And then with it's tough for indie creators uh, and it's a tough juggling act too, because even during that time that I was making big boss comic on Instagram, I was still serving other clients. So I was working on my own, which wasn't really that demanding when you think about it, you know, what's five panels, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and some plotting to do on your own during the course of a week. Uh, but I was working on other uh, clients work and yeah, they come back with feedback uh, and you have to be prepared for that. But I, I learned over the years to really pay attention and reread their directions and ask questions to save time later. So that's one of my skills. Like I, I got invited to a project, a freelance project recently because I don't bid as much anymore because I have some recurring clients and some bigger budget clients that just keep me on retainer. And I got invited to one on guru.com recently And it was just kind of one poster, a few hundred dollars for, it was like a wedding gift. And they wrote the instructions, provided uh, image uh, reference. And uh, there's no edit on the preliminary and no edit on the final. And I did it like, they, they said like in their original description, they said, oh, you know, if you finish it within three weeks, that's great, you know, because the wedding's a while away. Uh, I did it within like, I think the second or third day it was done, you know? So it was like, because I got to, you know, as a freelancer, you got to make the money. Uh, yeah, it's, but it's, it, was, it was, the point is like it's satisfying because you could avoid a lot of headaches later if you really pay attention to what they want and you reread it. And you make sure, like, you check all the boxes. Yeah, exactly. It's like when I would read a script, I would read the script one full time to see how much I enjoy it, right? Mm -hmm. So the first, my first read is always, do I like this story? 
right? Mm-hmm. If I don't, I don't, and I'll just do the work, right? But I, if I do, then it be then I, then my mind starts, you know, wandering to okay, now I could do this, and if I know the writer well enough that they give me, you know, it, does my writer want it strictly to be the way they they write it on the page, or are they welcoming my, you know, my creativity? Right? There's a reason mm-hmm. why you you decide to work with me. Yeah. So being that you decided to work with me, you want there's something about my aesthetic that you like, so. How do I take what you've given me and make, take it to the next level? Right? All the best artists know how to do that. That was, yeah. you know, we mentioned Tim Sale. Tim Sale worked really well with Jeff Loeb mm-hmm. when Jeff Loeb could provide him a script and Jeff Loeb already knows how Tim thinks. So mm-hmm. therefore they could do a lot of projects together. Yeah. Right. Same thing with a Jim Lee and a Scott Williams artist slash inker or Scott, you know, um, John Remedia Jr. Scott Hanna. I'm just throwing these names out that they're good collaborative teams because the, the one person kind of already knows what the other one's thinking. Right. And, but in the freelance world, you know, you are your own person. You are the person that you're that trying to sell the product. So one of the, one of the hardest things I could only imagine is getting someone who is apprehensive, convinced that this is, you're the right person for the job, or if you're not. So what are some of the tools you use to kind of like, to pitch people ideas of what you can do for them as a freelancer? Well, what I use to like sell somebody that's unsure. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the first is like it, most of the projects that I've had are ones that are online. When I first meet the clients, those are kind of the safest projects to have because in most cases they'll list the budget that they have. And then you can assess based on the budget that they list and the scope of the project, you know, how well, how much they know about the worth of such a project. And then if there's room for negotiation. So, so I usually, I mean, you always have to sell them because you're competing against other people. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I have a template. <laughs> and, uh, and so I recommend this template where it's like, it's it's several lines that open with you know i'm perfect for your project this is uh why these are examples i'm gonna deliver such project within this time frame and i'm ready to start today why don't you choose me today you know so i have uh, everything from like uh qualifying myself telling them that i'm perfect showing them work only related to what they actually need. I don't waste their time with anything that's not related. I wouldn't even talk to them if I wasn't a, a perfect fit like I believe I am, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. Uh, you have to you have to evaluate what you're looking at and what maybe your writer needs and to see if you're actually a fit. You know, you it's it's a matchmaking situation, you know? It so um, cause you have to work with that person. So you have to uh, actually uh, be a fit uh, realistically. So, um, so then I sell them through that. I sell them through the fact that I have actually analyzed what they've written or what they've described as needing. And, and then I visualize also myself completing the project. So they could tell that because I build on that template and sometimes I spend 
half an hour, an hour, sometimes even more on a proposal. And then if there's a chance that maybe they don't come across it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's not time wasted for me because when they do, they immediately realize that this person has actually considered everything that I need and they're trying. It's like, even if there's something slightly missing, you know, they, they see that I, I really believe in their project and I can complete it. Yes, that's good advice. That's good advice. Let's talk a little bit about a book that I found that you have that's your, that someone's able to read online. And that is Restless. Yeah. Right. This is a novel that you written. Talk to me a little bit about this novel about a real artist's career and love life. Uh, yeah, this this novel is only available at MasterpieceArtSchool.com. It's like a free uh, download. And I have the first 10 chapters uploaded there. And it's my upcoming novel. I'm actually in the process of rewriting it. It's a fiction. But it's also a, a follow-up to my nonfiction, It's a Living. Mm. And it's based on real events. <laughs> um and it's based on my career in Ottawa several years back as I'm having, like, I mean, it's, it's a fictional account. <laughs> uh, so, but it, it's based on that, that period in my life where I was uh, working towards a solo show and trying to land a solo show, dealing with a variety of different clients and uh, dating uh, and, and trying to find uh, love and, and uh, a, a relationship. So I've taken that experience. I, 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 I saw in it when I, when I did the outline that there was kind of a hero's journey, you know, there's like the goal of, of one trying to grow as a person and, and offer something valuable to a partner and finding love and, and you need growth to be able to actually have a healthy relationship. And that's part of the thing that the character struggles with. And um, and then his, his natural ambition to take the next steps in his career. He, too, is a freelancer like I am and like I was at that period. And uh, and he's he's what he wants to be is a fine artist. He wants to have a, a show and he, he wants the validation of that show. So it's a it's about that. It's about a young man trying to find love and success and navigating the art world a very coming to age story as we'll call it right yeah yeah right. so so there, that's that you could definitely pick it up all you have to do is in masterpieceartschool.com right mm -hmm. and all you have to do you just enter your information so you could read the book yeah yeah you just sign up it, it's just to sign up and then uh, you read it now i'm rewriting it so you know what you read there uh I mean, the, I think the 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 plot is uh, is the same, but uh, by by the time I I finish the book, it might it'll, I know these these chapters will be rewritten. Mm -hmm. So so it's kind of a novelty while it's still up now to compare it to the final product. And I've already changed uh, some things, including the opening scene. Sweet. So let's take a look at some of your artwork, right? So. I saw this piece. I thought it was beautiful. In fact, I love your fine artwork, like the, you know, what you do with paints and, 
your choice of colors. Um, what made you think about when you when you're using colors? What what is what's what are you thinking about as far as the color spectrum goes? Like, for example, why would you use that blue in the in the far right as opposed to using it in other places? And why in that spot? What was what was the mind the the thought process in creating the art that you have? We could talk about this piece in particular, and there's a few more there that we have. Sure, I have a, a unique process for this, and there's actually a course about it uh, at MasterpieceArtSchool.com. It's the uh, mixed media illustrations course. And there's a video about the process of this. And all the pieces in that course are done in this way. And the way is this. I usually take a much larger uh, piece of uh, Bristol paper, like thick quality mixed media paper. And I dilute a a bunch of uh, acrylic paint and I splash about and I, and, and then I, uh, I cut those into smaller pieces, six by nine, sometimes five by eight, very small kind of greeting card size. And uh, I go photograph things. Like this was a, a walk that I took with a couple of friends, and I, I got one of my friends to just walk up ahead and sit on a bench. And I took a photograph of her. And then I took that photograph and, and tried to match it with the – the abstract splashes that were on these pages. And I chose this piece because there was the red and the blue and it matched the horizon that like she was kind of overlooking this hill and then there's water. Uh, So it matched that. And I chose it for those reasons. And when I was splashing about, and when I cut those uh, smaller pieces of paper out of the larger, I try to find these thicker, parts of the paint uh, just for texture. So uh, th- thank you, Didi. Uh, so I, I look for these nuances uh, of color and, and then, you know, I, and then I, I try to match it with the subject. So it, it's, it's just a fun process. I like making either, you know, landscapes or figurative work out of abstract. I like to just look at the shapes. It's almost like a Rorschach. You know, you look at mm-hmm. the shapes and you bring up hopefully something beautiful. Yeah, it, it is beautiful. This is definitely something I can see framed in the wall. And, you know, you go someplace, it's part of their fine art. I know, and I saw some of your work is huge. So you do use big canvases for a lot for some of your work, I saw. So yeah. I used so. to uh, more, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where Restless is based, uh, which was back in Canada, like maybe 12 years ago, um, I used to work a lot larger scale. I had a I had an apartment, and then I had a, a studio uh, out in the country at my father's place, and I worked like the largest pieces in that show were 96 by 120, which is about uh, 10 by 12 feet. So. Well, I can't even fit that in my apartment. <laughs> no, I don't work that large anymore, and that's why I kind of work on paper. But yeah. you see, uh, you see that sculpture behind me. Yeah, let me let me remove the image for a yeah. second so we can see it a little better. Yes, yeah. I see it now. Yeah, so that sculpture behind me—that's one of my pieces. That was for for a show in Vegas. 
So, Let's take yeah. a look at another beautiful piece of artwork that you have there. Um, I want to say Central Park. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Bow Bridge. <laughs> yes. I saw it and I immediately knew exactly what it was. I was like, it's Central Park. This one's a little different, though. So talk, talk to me a little bit a little bit about this piece because it's not as abstract as the previous one that we saw. This one's a little more realistic in style, but there is still some elements of abstract. Thanks. Great choice, Izzy, because uh, this is actually a digital painting done with the Procreate, mm -hmm. and it's actually part of an upcoming course uh, at Masterpiece Art School. And the course is going to be called Digital Plain Air Painting with Procreate. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so, yeah, basically, I have a series of these that I've done. Uh, you know, some in Central Park, some, you know, cloisters, a few different parks throughout New York. I would set up and and uh, and then, yeah, just observe and create these digital works. I mean, that's really the process. It's, you know, I have when I when I present these uh, examples in the course, you see the playback and then I comment what brushes I'm using, mm -hmm. uh, things that I consider in terms of composition. So like here on the left side, there's the green foreground. So, uh, and then there's like the black tree in the, in, on the top right that kind of frames the bridge, you know? So these are considerations that I, that I make. And in a lot of situations when you're out and about and drawing from nature, not everything is exactly like this. You actually have to force uh, force the perspective in a way. You have to, you know, observe this bush in front of you and kind of like maybe it's not actually that close and you have to bring it in a bit mm -hmm. uh, and, and and create this nice frame and then the little story. And, and on the bridge, there's like a little couple that are embracing in the distance. So, yeah, these are things that I like to have fun with. No, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. And, and you, you know, I, I felt that it was a digital image because there was something about it that looks very different, but at the same time, it's still equally as great as the, the actual paint, right? There, you could tell the, there's times you could tell the difference. There's times you can't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. This is one of those situations. I think I immediately noticed it when I saw the sky with that white. Yeah. Cloud. The sky gives it away. This guy kind of gives it away, but at the same time, it's still beautiful use of color. Um, very fall, but with yeah. a splash of spring. That's <laughs> that's how I see. Because you do have those little spring colors that are still populating within the foreground with the with the grass in particular. But in the back, it it's very much reminiscent of a beautiful September day. Yeah, or, it was last fall. Yeah, it was great colors this past season in Central Park because for many years there weren't really such really nice kind of cliche colors yeah. in Central Park. So it really hit well. Let's take a look at some more fine art. I saw I saw these two particular yeah. pieces here. And then um, first, let's talk about the woman and yeah. then we'll talk about the statue. Yeah, that's my friend Yulia on the left, and she was the one that was sitting on the bench. Oh, she's the bench girl. Yeah. <laughs> this was a tough one because I had to work on the likeness of her, 
And it's a very tough medium because I'm working with uh, a mixture of watercolor paint and ink and brush ink and whiteout. So I use a whiteout pen and it's not very forgiving at all. And then also I had this stroke like uh, right uh, down her face there. Um, and I wanted that there. And it was, a, it was near impossible to color over that. And I, and I needed to put her eyes in the right location that they couldn't be too far to the left because that would throw off the composition because you, you almost still have to use the rule of thirds. So it's really like her, uh, I guess her left eye is, is right in the center of the page. So there was a lot of kind of uh, considerations with that one. It's not an easy uh, piece to create, but it turned out pretty close to what she looks like. <laughs> and, uh, what, what I specifically yeah. like, there's two things I like. I like the splashes. I, I've always liked splashes um, because, again, with splashes, they're unpredictable in how they're going to come out. But when they come out well, it's 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 perfect. Like this is a, a excellent use of the splashes that come out. The other thing that 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 strikes to me is your lighting, which I, I really I'm, I'm really liking the lighting because, you, you know, you you're not taking you're definitely not taking the rule of outlining her face. So, you know, in particular, right underneath her eye, you see that there's white, but there's no there's no line to to bring in the weight. The weight's kind of brought in there to her cheekbone. Um, mm -hmm. And I like that. And I like it specifically in the neck and her collar as well. That that's that white that's there. Um, it's a very good composition in the sense of you don't need to outline the image for it to pop out mm -hmm. like some people do, like, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, cartoonists in particular, they they have those heavy lines to accentuate the depth. Here, you don't need them because the colors are doing the work for you. And I think that that makes it even more exciting to look at the fact that the it's popping out without the need of you having to, like, make make your eye pull to it. Mm -hmm. which I think it's beautiful to look at. And that stroke is just, it, it's, it's so interesting to see it that just there, that blue stroke, mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it brings character to the image and what it, what it means and things like that. So love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. The other one I love is the anatomy. <laughs> to me, it was more about the anatomy in the image, which is obviously a statue. Mm -hmm. um, also in Central Park, I'm trying to remember where the statue no, is. No, this is something I found online. I, I would guess it's something that is in one of those fountains in Rome or something. Mm -hmm. But I just found it online too. black and Mustache. white. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this one in particular. Uh, this one was a lot easier to, to create. Uh, and both of these, I believe, are in that same tutorial about uh, mixed media uh, illustrations. So this one was easier because I was working from a black and white photograph and I think it was, this is pretty much the crop that was in the photograph. It was just a black and white piece. And there wasn't anything too dynamic happening in the background in terms of the splashes. Cause again, like what you saw in, in the splashes, even in the, in the portrait of uh, my friend, Yulia here, it, those existed before, mm -hmm. you know? So then I, I, I had a piece with all these wild splashes and a blue streak in it. And 
that's the piece of paper that I chose to put that face on. So with this one, I figured there wasn't anything too dynamic. And you see actually on his on the left shoulder, his right shoulder, there's actually some pencil marks. So I, I think I started to draw something else. It wasn't working. So, <laughs> so uh, I did this. And then it just, it wasn't really like that complicated of a study for me. It was just something simple where the original subject already did the hard work for me. And all I had to do was just relax and use the natural skills that I developed over years of life drawing to just copy from a photograph. Yeah. And here's what I'm noticing is that the cross hatching, which is usually done with blacks, is actually done with the whites. Am I right? That you did a yeah, lot of this cross hatching yeah, with like the white. The top, the top uh, set of abs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like I'm scratching in with the white out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I personally I personally love drawing on dark colors to accentuate the brightness when you draw white. So just like with like I, I use white out too on in occasions and I try to be as creative as I can, right? Whether I use like a toothbrush or something like that to kind of make a design, you know, splash splattering is a toothbrush. You, you use that a lot. But in particular, I like doing that with with the white out in particular to kind of say what happens if I put white out. Um, one of the things I love drawing on is on on brown paper mm -hmm. too, like you know, so that you could do that kind of stuff, let it stand out with the the highlight. So this is a great piece. So let's nice. let let me remove this so we could get talking a little bit about the masterpiece art school. So talk to me a little bit about masterpiece art school. Well, it actually started out in Canada, and uh, I continued it here, and now it's online. So. When I was a, an artist in Canada, um, you know, I, I was originally starting in cafes. I was showing artwork and selling artworks and cafes, bars. Uh, I'd have like tables at raves. I was like the only guy not drinking. I would just have a table and sometimes do a live painting overnight. And everybody's just high around me. And <laughs> occasionally I'd sell some pieces. So, um, you know, when I first started, like, first kind of job as a freelancer that I got out in the world besides just bidding online was uh, teaching. So I started to teach at this community center, which I taught for many years. And, um, and then um, I taught a, a several private schools throughout Ottawa, Canada. Uh, and then the city, I taught for the city in different stints. And then there, there came a time where I moved to the suburbs and I was, it was like a 35-minute drive each morning to teach at that community center, which was good, consistent money. Um, and then I was still I started to teach more in my area at a private art school. And uh, at one point, I was just kind of having trouble getting uh, paid because they changed. Like what ended up happening is like it was managed by this really nice religious couple, and they were sweet and uh, they ran it really, really well. And then. The city, uh, because it was a city center, uh, the community center, the city said, hey, they're making money from this. Why don't we take it over? And <laughs> sure enough, they mismanaged it. And they, they ran that couple out. It was quite a scene. Well, that's you know? a shame. Yeah, it was really uh, tragic. And, uh, and then uh, anyway, so then it, they had this accountant that nobody could ever reach. And so before, you know, 
every other week I'd get a paycheck and, you know, it was just waiting for me in the office. And then, so, so one day, uh, like, well, several days in a row, uh, several uh, seasons in a row, it, it wasn't there. So I said, screw it. You know, why don't I just start my own art school? And then I had a brick and mortar in Canada and it was a very uh, modest op- operation uh, because it was mostly, it was just me. I ran my own curriculum uh, based on the curriculum that I developed over the years at many, those many schools. And I had like classes for uh, kids, uh, six to 13. And uh, I had classes, painting classes for adults. So the kids' classes were drawing and painting and cartooning. Very, very popular. And then, um, and then I had the adult classes in uh, painting with acrylics. I had some teenage classes for illustration. And then I had on Saturdays, I would teach uh, like one-on-one portfolio development for some students that I had that were either getting going into a specialty arts high school or trying to get into college. So, uh, so I had that. And actually during the week, my classes were typically only on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, so it was a nice little business. And then I, uh, I closed it down when I moved to the States and I just kept it online. And for a while I was, I think I still had the website masterpieceartschool.ca at the time, mm-hmm. but then I changed it a few years ago to .com. And uh, most of the the courses that I was teaching were online, and they were published on Udemy and mm-hmm. uh, Skillshare. And I still have some older courses there, but now I'm consolidating everything to a Masterpiece Art School. I've I've got a lot of new content there currently, and then like the same equal amount that's unpublished in the background that I'm building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whatever you see at the website currently in, ter- in terms of content, there's that same amount that's like in the background that I'm constantly uh, updating to get it ready to publish. That's great. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's it sounds like you've done a lot of work, especially for your branding, for your work, to the point that you now are, you, you are an author of your book, It's a Living, and a new book that's coming out that we're, I think we're going to debut right yeah. now. So yeah, I think it's official. It's official. It's a, or yeah. as we as we like to call it the hipsters. It's a fish. Now we should say that it's not out yet. And no, this, it's only scheduled to come out by early September, maybe late August. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we're, what we're doing is we're giving a preview to this book, right? Yeah. Easy and fun cartooning techniques for drawing comics and mag- manga. All right. no. So I was looking through the book earlier today, and one of the things that I really did like is that you pretty much go through multiple genres, not just not just in drawing um, comics or manga. You go into animation. I, I saw that you mentioned squashes stretch and I was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. animation talk right there. So yeah. uh, talk to me a little bit about this book right now. The, the version that I have here is about 100 pages yeah. of a whole bunch of different styles that people could learn. Um, well, go ahead and talk to me a little bit about this book while I flip through some of the pages sure. so people could see them. So the first thing to know is that it it's comprised of like the courses that I developed over the years at my school, the cartooning courses for comics and all the, the things that I've learned in drawing comics 
for other freelancers and for myself. And I've made each page dense with information. Like this page here is just these supplies. But as you go along, each page is like like chock full of pinnable pages. You know, mm-hmm. like it's like like each one uh, w- would be if, if you need like a reference for anatomy. There's one for that. So the way it starts is it starts with heads. It then we're you know drawing bodies. Then uh, we're drawing expressions, facial expressions, then gestural expressions. Then uh, I think we cover uh, anamorphic. Uh, yeah, characters. anamorphic character. Yeah. Yeah. So in between, I had to utilize some of my animation training because one of the exercises is this the the cartooning exercise that I got from animation. It's a fun thing. I mean, you know, the title is easy and fun. <laughs> so these are fun little exercises thrown in and quick little tips <laughs> that are easy to uh, apply as an illustrator to develop more complicated <laughs> drawing like anatomy. So there's advanced like this, this is fairly advanced. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's like kind of, intertwined with simple uh so yeah so it builds uh, to through characters uh and then it gets into like drawing tech oh well i think no wait sorry it covers uh perspective mm-hmm. and there's yep. a big section on perspective i didn't even I want that. to make it that big initially i in my classes i would only cover one point two point and three point perspective and uh i had an artist friend when i showed him uh a copy he said what about four and five point perspective so i put in four and five point perspective but it's just a page so (laughs) so i have even that um which which you could use for like fisheye and such there's animals this is uh this page and the there's a nice page i think the one after this is i like this page a lot it's like just horses so um, Uh, like for me is so it's a pain in the butt drawing animals for me yeah. um because it is different like you got the shapes are different and when you don't you know one thing i always tell people in particular is that draw the things you don't like for practice yeah right instead of drawing the things you like because you you could draw the things you like and you could get really good at it but there's going to be a time that you're going to need to know how to draw this yeah in some time it doesn't mean that you have to draw it every day but you have to you got to keep the skills fresh. You got to continue to work on it or else you become stagnant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's um, the anamorphic characters. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's cartooning and it's, uh, there's a section, I think we, we passed it on caricatures. So yeah. that I put in there because sometimes in cartooning, you have to draw caricatures of other people, but then you could apply it in conjunction with it's a living where you can make a living as a caricature artist if you need to. And th- I did that for many years. I was, actually, that was a big part of my business where every now and again, I would get booked for like weddings, bar mitzvahs and, and uh, corporate events, especially in Vegas. They, mm-hmm. they paid well and they tipped well because in Vegas, <laughs> everywhere they tip well. So, so, you know, there you could get paid like one, one up to 150 an hour. Mm-hmm. And it's good. Sometimes I would get booked for a six-hour gig plus tips. That's a that's a great night. 
you know, like, I'm yeah. good for, you know, at that budget, I was definitely satisfied for the week, you know? Um, so, um, yeah. So then we, after perspective, I get into, uh, I think drawing techniques and then finally it, we're building up the whole skill set that we're eventually building up towards is drawing comics. So, I get into storytelling eventually, eventually, finally, it's kind of like the, 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 the end focus of it and everything from composition to, um, um, to, I don't know, covers, uh, scripting. There's a page on script formatting. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, really, I try to cover everything from beginning to end, like in, in terms of like you're growing. So each, each step it's carrying you into the direction to develop the skills that you would need to be the, the most well-rounded uh, comics mm -hmm. and manga artist yeah, or writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's always good, especially when, if you're a writer, if you're watching this as a writer, it's, it's, it's always important to understand what, you know, us artists have to do in, in comics to make your story come alive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could have the most wild imagination, but you also have to understand that your artist has to, you know, ride along with you to that on that ride. And you have to pay attention to when your artist says, I don't think we can make that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, where people say, I want to have this here. And, you know, um, everybody thinks they're Alan Moore. I don't know if you ever heard about an Alan Moore script and how that looks yeah, yeah. like. No, I, I know. Um, I know. what they're like. So everybody thinks they're Alan Moore sometimes when they're starting. So, just, you know, I, I've always gravitated towards a writer who is willing to understand their artists more than telling their stories sometimes because they they want to tell their stories, but they want to make sure that their artist is comfortable with their story or else that's probably not the right artist for them. Um, well, the, the trick for writing for artists in comics is that you have to think like, an artist because you're actually directing the shots. You have to actually describe the shots, not exactly what's in your mind or what's in the character's mind. You have to mm -hmm. describe the shots. So I think a lot of writers make the mistake of describing one panel from viewing actions from two different cameras, basically, mm -hmm. you know? So, how, you know, that that's, those are the tough ones where, you know, I have a description where, you know, you're seeing the front and the back of the character that's in the script. And I'm like, how am I supposed to depict that? You know, and actually, mm -hmm. uh, well, if you go back to this, uh, uh, one more, I guess one more, <laughs> <laughs> one more, there we go. This okay. one, uh, this was kind of a similar thing. This is a fun example because I had the description from the client and you're supposed to see our main character on the ground sketching while all this stuff is going around. And in the, in another room in the kitchen, there's three other characters, one serving and two playing cards. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, how, <laughs> you know, what angle am I going to, you know, get this at and also show our main character as the main one. Right. Cause I could mm -hmm. choose the angle from the kitchen, but then those characters are the main characters. So I had to do some thinking and, and the first uh, green drawing at the top is my first sketch of like, just kind of figuring out where everybody's laid out. 
And I knew I wasn't going to use it. It wasn't like going to be like, oh, this is going to be the drawing. But a novice artist, that's what they would sell, settle on, you know. So I used that just to figure out where everything is. You know, I knew they were watching TV and there's like uh, in the original, it was supposed to be Soul Train uh, mm-hmm. that they were watching and the logo was used. But here I replaced it. So, uh, so yeah. So then, then once I knew where everybody was, then the, the next drawing was uh, figuring out the shot, the angle mm-hmm. uh, to be able to fit everybody in. Yeah, because you could have you could have done the image from the perspective of, from the television's perspective, right? But then you would have lost the 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 people that were in the background. Um, they're they're in the background playing cards, and if you would have done it from that perspective of the television, obviously, based on what you just said, that you know they were supposed to watch Soul Train, so there was supposed yeah. there has to be a way for them to watch television. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm looking at this piece, and I see that it's a period piece uh, because I see yeah, the television it's in the '70s. Yeah, I see the television. I see um, what I what appears to be a VCR, um, yeah. and of course, their 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 clothing is dressed up in that garb of the seventies. So, yeah, so like not only did you have to think, yeah, so not only did you have to think about placement, you also had to think about what what the time period looked like. And so, re, I, I take it there was some research involved in trying to find out what was the how things looked during that time. Um, that is a large television, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's just closer to us. I know, because <laughs> I'm just thinking. Because I, I, I think about when I was young, how yeah. a 19 inch TV was considered a large television. If, you, if you remember, right? 25 inches was large, and now 25 inches is very small when you really think about it. And in, in, in like in a monitor screen, so it's just weird how times change. But um, this is a perfect example of you know taking a, everything that you learn and putting it into one thing. So great stuff. And that book is scheduled to come out sometime in late September, early October. That's that's uh, the projected no, no, no. time it's frame. Like, uh, maybe late August. Late August. Okay, yeah. so that's the projected I, time frame. I'm trying to figure out. Uh, I just ordered a couple of proof copies. Just. To double check everything and uh, once I get those and look them over I'm probably gonna set a pre-launch date and also I'm working on a tutorial for my website that goes with the book uh, with the book so so I'm figuring out <laughs> when that's uh, launching so that I could ideally launch it with the book so then you can have the course where I explain things more thoroughly and then you could uh, look at the uh, you could order the book uh, either, either as a download, which you could get from Masterpiece Art School, or uh, you know you, it'll be like on uh, Kindle and uh, paperback and hardcover. Great! It has been a blast talking to you, Chris. Oh, thanks. Where can people find you? Um, Instagram, Masterpiece Art School, and MasterpieceArtSchool.com is the website. And Big Boss Comic on Instagram is still up there. So mm-hmm. I do post on stories. That's kind of like my more social one. And um, that's it. You can, you know, reach me through there. I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see you in all the conventions. Every time I'm in a convention, you seem to be following me. So <laughs> oh, I'm scheduled to be at Eternal Con. I'm going to do a workshop. Yeah, on, I'll be uh, there. 
Okay, I'll, I'll I'll be there. I was I'm thinking about doing a panel, so I'm just waiting to hear from them. So we'll yeah. see what we'll see what happens. But I will definitely be in, in internal con. You oh. will see me there. We will we will both butt heads together. Nice. <laughs> so that's gonna be fun. Thank you, Chris, for for joining us. I really do appreciate your time. And Thanks, Izzy. Keep up the great work, man. I, I love looking at some of this stuff. Thank you. Take care, man.